Merry Christmas to everybody. This is the happiest time of the year and for good reason. Um, At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And when Jesus came, it showed us that God would not abandon us to our fate, but that he would come to our rescue. And really, Christmas is closely tied to the sacrifices that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Because the thing that made Jesus the Savior was the fact that he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But when Jesus came to save, he made the offer of salvation to absolutely everyone. So anyone uh, can receive his salvation. Uh, But each of us must choose to accept that salvation. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for our sins and can purify us, uh, purify every one of us from the pollution of sin, but only when we put our faith in him and apply the sacrifice of Jesus to our lives. Now, Who is it that needs to apply Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to their lives? Is it the person who is not yet a Christian and who has not had the experience of putting their faith in Jesus and having their sins forgiven? Absolutely. Yes. But what about those of us who are already Christians? Is the cross of Jesus just a memory of what he did to save us from our sins back on that day? when we first put our faith in him? Or is Jesus' sacrifice something that we still need now in our lives as the people of God? And if we still need it now, what do we need it for? Well, those are some of the things that we're going to be seeing in the book of Leviticus today. Because we are in a sermon series in which we're looking at the ancient sacrificial practices described in the Bible. For many centuries, animal sacrifice was the way that God had instructed his people to come and worship him. And he gave them very specific instructions on how they were to construct a physical place of worship, which included as one of the main features, a big altar on which these sacrifices were offered. And this is a part of the Bible that is, it's really, it's pretty foreign to most of them, goats and sheep and and things like that. But this is not a part of the Bible that we really know and understand very well. But hopefully, if you've been with us over these past few weeks, your understanding is growing and you are learning more about these things. And if you've missed some of the messages, I encourage you to go back and listen online. Uh, You can do that at clearwater.church. And as we finish this series over the next few weeks, our hope is that you will come to an even greater understanding of God, a greater understanding of yourself, of sin and forgiveness, and of Jesus' death on the cross. And today we're going to be looking at the purification offering that's described in Leviticus chapters 4 and 5. Um, it's a pretty long section uh, that we're dealing with today, and I'm not going to read very much of it. It's mostly detailed instructions about the specific logistics of how to go about each sacrifice and what to do with each part of the animal and how to, how to treat the whole thing. 
and we're not going to discuss uh, each of those details here, but I'm just going to read a few sections, and we're going to highlight the sections that really talk about the meaning of this sacrifice. So this sacrifice was one that was uh, meant to be offered in response to sin. And the Bible describes four main variations on that sacrifice, depending on who it is that's bringing uh, the sacrifice and who it is that has sinned. If it was the high priest himself who sinned, then there are particular instructions on what to do uh, in that case. If the entire community has sinned, this sacrifice can deal with that as well. And then if a leader in the community or a normal community member, uh, there are specific procedures for each of those as well. And the differences in the sacrifice for these different groups is mainly about the value of the animal that was being presented and then about exactly where the priest would sprinkle the blood as part of the purification ceremony that was part of this sacrifice. But there's an important point that I want to emphasize that's, that, we, that we see here, and that is that all of these people who are bringing this sacrifice are people who are already a part of the people of God. Even the leaders of the people of God, even the high priest himself, sometimes had to offer sacrifices and be purified from sin. So you see, sometimes when we think about sin and sacrifice and the need for confession and repentance, we uh, think about the outsider, the person who is uh, not uh, put their faith in God and has no relationship with God. And we think that uh, th those sinners who are outside the community of faith and they're outside of the church and they need to, uh, to, to have Jesus' sacrifice applied to their lives so that they can be forgiven and they can uh, be saved from their sins. And they can have Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, cover their sins. And of course, we do include ourselves in that category too. But often we only include ourselves as, yes, that is something that happened in the past. I too was a sinner and needed to be saved. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I, I needed Jesus, but then I put my faith in him and I was forgiven. My sins are washed away and I am now in right relationship with God, destined for eternal reward. And, uh, and my need for sacrifice and repentance is a thing of the past, not something that we need now as Christians. But that is not what we're seeing here in Leviticus, right? All of these people who are being instructed to offer this sacrifice are people of faith. It's the priest, the leaders of the people, the, the, the people themselves, all members of the community of faith, people who have a relationship with God, and they need to be purified from their sins. So the first lesson we see in this sacrifice is that dealing with our sins is an ongoing part of the life of faith and the life of God's people. And we're going to talk uh, more about the importance of dealing with our ongoing sins in a few minutes. But, but first, another important foundational truth here is that when people who are already part of the people of God sin... God does not say to them, well, you had your chance. You came to me for forgiveness, and I forgave all your sins, and I gave you a clean slate, and now you have gone and done it again. That was it. That was your chance, and now you've blown. No, that's not what God says. 
Our God is a patient and forgiving God. He wants to forgive us. He's not up there just waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. That is a caricature of God that's out there, and some people believe that, but that does not come from the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who wants to forgive us. He is the one who made a specific plan exactly for this situation. God knew that we would struggle with sin throughout our lives, and he wanted to help us. And so he made a plan for us to apply forgiveness to those ongoing sins, too. However, the procedure for applying forgiveness to these sins is not a simple and insignificant thing. It involved a lot more than simply saying you're sorry, asking for forgiveness, and moving on. When the ancient Israelites sinned, they had to go through a fairly elaborate ritual. And that ritual involved the death of an animal as a substitutionary sacrifice. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mike described this scene for us, and we were able to picture in our mind exactly what happened in these sacrifices. The worshiper would bring his sacrificial animal to the priest, and then he would lean his head on the, hand, on the head of the animal and take the knife and slaughter the animal and hold his hand on it while it bled to death. This was not insignificant. It was a shocking reminder of our horrible sin and the cost of forgiveness. Our sins are not small flaws and insignificant imperfections. Sin is a huge deal. It's a tragedy. And the tragic death of that sheep or goat or or whatever animal was a powerful physical reminder of the significance of sin. Now, we don't practice animal sacrifice in that way anymore because uh, Jesus has offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And so no further sacrifice is necessary. But while we don't get anything like the experience of actually having your hand on the head of the animal as it's dying and that it's dying because of your sin, we can get a bit of the idea and and still experience it somewhat in our imagination when we think about how that uh, sacrificial system worked. Does it make you uncomfortable to think of that poor animal dying. Good. Sin is uncomfortable. Do you think that it's a bad thing that that animal had to die? You're right. It's a terrible thing. Sin is terrible. Forgiveness is costly. And the death of the animal illustrates that powerfully. Another thing relating to the cost of sin that we see in this text is that there are several ways here in uh, chapter 4 that uh, the, the, um, someone who cannot afford to bring the expensive animal uh, can still follow God's instructions by bringing something of lesser value. 
Um, so if you can't afford a sheep or a goat, you are to bring two birds. And if you can't afford birds, you can bring some fine flour. And any one of those will be an acceptable sacrifice to God according to what you can afford. But here's the question. If birds or flour were acceptable sacrifices to God, then why does he ask those two who can afford it to bring an expensive sheep or a goat? Because the sacrifice was supposed to be expensive for everyone. It should, it should be a reminder that it really cost you something. And this was to help them to see the seriousness of their sin. Forgiveness is costly. Sin is not to be taken lightly. My sin is not to be taken lightly. And your sin is not to be taken lightly. It is a serious matter. And forgiveness comes at a cost. Now, during that time, what the Bible calls the Old Covenant, the cost was paid by the sinner who had to bring a costly sacrifice to be offered on the altar. In our passage in Leviticus uh, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, uh, As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the... It, it, it's a penalty. It's a payment for sin. But we no longer live in the time of the old covenant. When Jesus came, he initiated the new covenant. And, and, and in the new covenant, a new arrangement with God and how to deal with sin has, has come. Forgiveness is still costly. And a payment or a penalty is still paid. Sin still requires death to pay the price. But now, instead of the death of the sacrificial animal, we have the infinitely valuable death of God himself as a sacrifice for our sin. All of those animals were simply a foreshadow of the real sacrifice that was made by Jesus. Forgiveness is costly, but the price has been paid by Jesus. We receive his payment by faith as a gift of mercy and grace. But we should never think that forgiveness is cheap. It cost God the ultimate price, the suffering and death of the perfect man, Jesus, the Son of God. So what does this mean to us? It means that we should take our sin very seriously. We should never get the thought in our heads that we can just do the wrong thing. It's not that big a deal because we can just ask forgiveness for it later and God will forgive us. Yes, God will forgive you. That's true. But we should never think of sin and forgiveness as a small or trivial matter. The cost of forgiveness is death. And the sacrificial system was a potent illustration of that for the ancients. And for us, we need to think back to the death of Jesus and remember how he suffered for us. 
And it can also be helpful for us to think back to that system of sacrifices and to, and to remember the bulls and goats and sheep and doves that were killed as a penalty for sin. So the next question is, when is it that we need to be thinking about these sacrifices and bringing and asking God for forgiveness? We've already said that this is something that is part of the ongoing life of the people of God, not something that simply happens when we first put our trust in Him. But when was it that this sacrifice was required? Well, our passage doesn't really answer the question of what actions are sinful and what actions are not sinful. Um, That question is answered in many places in the Bible. Uh, Much of the Bible deals with uh, letting us know what is the will of God for our lives and our behavior. Uh, but, But most famously, Jesus summarized the entire law in Matthew chapter 22. And here's what he says there in Matthew chapter 22. He says, Uh, He was being asked, uh, what is the most important part of the law? And here's what he said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, there's a lot of specifics in the law uh, that uh, come from these uh, and help us to see how this, these principles apply in many different situations in our lives. But this is the foundation of it all. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, our passage talks about bringing this purification sacrifice whenever we become aware that we have sinned, when we come to realize that we have not been loving God and loving our neighbor. So our passage says things like, when he realizes his guilt and the sin that he has committed becomes known. And it says, when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters. Now, many times we will be aware that we have sinned immediately. We know what we're doing. We, we know uh, when we sin. Uh, but there are also times when you act and only realize later that what you did was wrong. And then those are the times. Uh, it also includes those times when you've justified to yourself. Oh, this isn't really wrong. And you kind of talk yourself into uh, doing something that you later realize, no, I, I, was, I was justifying, I should not have done that, that was sinful. So, when we realize that we have sinned, however it is that we become aware that we've sinned, when you do come to that realization, you need to deal with your sin. And why do you need to deal with your sin? Why do you need to deal with it? Uh, Well, we're talking about Christians here, right? People who have already put their faith in Jesus. and, And they've trusted him for salvation from sin. And when we first trusted Jesus and confessed our sinfulness and asked for forgiveness, 
Did Jesus not take away all of our sins, past, present, and future? Then why do we need to come to him again and deal with uh, this new sin? Well, it is not because we have now lost our right standing for God, our, our right standing before God. It's true that God forgave all of our sins, including our future sins, when we uh, first came to faith and were um, and put our trust in Him. So, uh, some people have that mistaken path to heaven. Every time you commit a sin, you've lost your salvation. We were on the path to heaven, but each time we fall, uh, to, or fail to love God and love our neighbor, we switch paths, and now we're on the path to hell. And then you need to come and repent, and then it gets you back on the right path until the next time you mess up, and now you're back over on the... But that is not what the Bible teaches. When we sin, uh, we, uh, it is true that when we first put our faith in Jesus as our only hope, uh, that we will commit, all the sins that we will commit over the course of our lifetime are all paid for. So we are completely forgiven, and our eternal destiny is secure. So the need to deal with ongoing sins throughout our lives as a Christian is not in order to make sure that we really do go to heaven when this life is over. We want to be very clear about that. But again, that does not mean that our sin is trivial or unimportant. Sin is a big problem. And when we become aware that we have sinned, we need to deal with it. Now, as I've said, we're now in the new covenant, and we don't need to make more animal sacrifices, of course. In fact, it would be inappropriate to offer sacrifices now, um, whether it's of of any type, because it would uh, imply that Jesus' sacrifice was insufficient if we felt that we still needed to offer more sacrifices. But no, Jesus has offered the great sacrifice and no other payment for sin is necessary. But here's the summary section of our passage from the Old Covenant describing the way to deal with sin. It says in Leviticus chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, says, When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what way they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them uh, and for their sin. In the book of 1 John, and in the New Covenant, we have a variety of summary statements, but a great one is in the book of 1 John where it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The New, Test- uh, the New Covenant requires confession of sin, just like the Old, but it does not require us to bring another sacrifice since the sacrifice has already been made. All that we are required to do when we become aware of our sin is we must confess that sin to God. And when we admit our guilt and trust in Jesus' payment as the sacrificial uh, atonement for and penalty for our sins, then we will be forgiven and we will be purified from all unrighteousness. Now, that is a tremendous promise. 
in both the old and new ways of dealing with sin, sin could be dealt with. In the Leviticus passage, there's a repeated phrase at the end of each description for each of uh, the variations on how the sacrifice was to be made. And that repeated phrase is this. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the sin and he will be forgiven. And it's even more emphatic in our passage from 1 John where it says he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. It doesn't say he will consider forgiving your sin. It doesn't say that if you really turn away from your sin and never do it again, then he will forgive it. It says that when a sinner confesses his sin and either brings a sacrifice or trusts in Jesus' sacrifice, then God will forgive. Why? Because God is a forgiving God. He wants to forgive us. He created the sacrificial system of the old covenant, and he came and then uh, died in our place so that he could forgive us. Sin is serious. It has real consequences that are not arbitrary. Death was required as payment. God could not simply look the other way and say, oh, don't worry about it. No, that is why baby Jesus was born on Christmas, on that first silent night. He came to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. He came because God loves us and wants to forgive us. He doesn't want us to bear the full penalty for our sins, which would destroy us, so that as a human, he could represent us, and his sacrifice could pay the price that no goat or bird or bull could ever pay. But as we've said, the eternal destiny of those who've put their faith in Jesus is secure. So, coming back to the question, what does it accomplish for us when we confess our sins and ask Jesus to forgive us? And there are at least four benefits that we get from confessing our sins to God and receiving His forgiveness. And here they are. The first one is, we experience a removal of guilt feelings. When we practice confession, we are reminded of God's promises to forgive and to cleanse us from sin. And we need no longer experience the shame of having done wrong. Psalm 32 describes the experience of forgiveness. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. See, confession and forgiveness release us from the weight of our sin. The second benefit that we get is that confession and forgiveness reaffirm our identity as people who do what is right. 
If we don't deal with our sin, we can become comfortable with it, and it can simply become part of our identity. We can think of ourselves as our temper, our lust, our selfishness. That's just part of who we are. But when we confess our sin to God and ask for Jesus' blood to cover that sin, we are declaring that we will not become comfortable in our sin and in those sinful practices, but we will continue to fight against those sinful habits and tendencies in our lives. Our identity is an identity of people who do what is right and who strive against sin. The third thing is that it prevents our conscience from being dulled. If we treat our sins lightly, we can become our lives sensitized to it. It comes to be thought of as just a normal part of our lives. And we can start to feel like, meh, it's just not a big deal. Um, but confession and meditation on the price that Jesus paid that can help us to continue to be sensitive in our lives uh, to the sins that we need to resist. And then the last thing, when we bring our sins to God, we are enlisting his help in our struggle against sin. We are saying to him that we agree with him that our sin is bad and that we want to do better. And we are striking a blow in the ongoing battle to be the people that God wants us to be. Now, obviously, the best outcome when you're tempted is to resist the temptation and not sin. But the second best option, if you ever do sin, is to immediately, quickly bring it to God, confess it, and be forgiven. Because those are both really wins in the battle against sin. Right? Obviously, the best thing, you, you resist the temptation, you don't do it. But, but even when you sin and you come back to God, and as it says in the passage, when you realize that you have sinned, you bring the sacrifice, you come to him and you ask for forgiveness, that is a win in the battle against sin. Because that will help us the next time that we are tempted. So here's what we've learned from, from the purification offering in Leviticus. We've learned that people who are part of the community of faith, in other words, Christians, still sometimes will come to realize that we have sinned. And God has provided us a way to come to him for forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. He provided the old sacrificial system, and he fulfilled the promise of that system by offering himself on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. And this practice of coming to God to confess our sins needs to be followed every time we come to realize that we have sinned. There is no reason to wait for a particular time. Whenever someone realizes their guilt, they must deal with it. God is eager to forgive. He wants to wash away our sins and purify. Now, in a moment, we're going to of sin and guilt in our lives. Now, in a moment, we're going to practice the Lord's Supper, the, the communion meal. 
And this is a ceremony that calls us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus' body and blood for our sins and to experience the forgiveness that is available to us all through that sacrifice. So as we take communion in just a moment, I want you to think about that sacrifice and the, the sins that made it necessary and the forgiveness that is available through the death of Jesus. Thank you.